What's up, Happy Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rides Podcast. Got a loaded Wednesday night show for you. Coming at you a little bit later than usual. Had some uh, day job hangups that prevented me to getting this thing out a little bit earlier on the normal schedule, but appreciate waiting and hanging around. We will talk to Bennett Durando, the Auburn beat writer for the Montgomery Advertiser and the USA Today Network. Talked to him about a lot of different stuff. Bo Nix, how he's been a different player since the benching. Some of Auburn's defensive strength as well as, as well as their defensive struggles and what to make of their running back rotation. It's been a bit of an underwhelming year for Tank Bigsby. And then their second second running back, who most thought would be Sean Shivers, I think. Uh, he went out with an injury and has really kind of become more of a pass-catching back on third down. And that's the emergence because of the emergence of – Philadelphia, Mississippi native Marquez Hunter. So got into a lot of different topics and what should be a fascinating game for Ole Miss and one with a lot of implications. I'm looking forward to watching this thing. I mean, like I keep mentioning, Ole Miss is playing a game on the night before Halloween that has real SEC West potential, SEC West implications, and certainly New Year's Six implications in hell, a game that matters for them to reach, reach a wins threshold that the program really hasn't seen in a long, long time. You know, if Ole Miss comes out with a win in this game, that gets real. So we'll get into a lot of different stuff. I'll hit with a couple quick Auburn thoughts off the top before we get into the interview. Uh, but before you get to that, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Most of you listening know the deal by now. You need to go check these guys out if you're into the wagering game. It's getting crunch time for college football season. Kind of have a feel for who's good, who's not, or at least as much of a feel as you possibly can. NFL is about to enter its third month of the season. Things are heating up. You need to check them out. Skybox already has a 9-1, 7-0 NFL week on the year, up a bunch of units in that. College football two weekends ago had a pretty solid weekend there, and then is absolutely crushing the game on NASCAR. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range, whether you want to go month-long all sports, month-long sports-centric, week-long, pretty much whatever you're into, they're going to have something to make it work all the way down to a day pass. You can try them out for a day, 10 bucks with the promo code RIPPY. You get it for 8 bucks, 20% off. So check them out. Uh, you don't want to be paying the man on Sunday nights. You've already got the scaries. You don't need that text Sunday night, Monday morning, asking to square up. You want to be texting him, hey, where's my supplemental income coming at? Makes the Sunday, Monday scaries a little easier. Monday at work with some uh, money burning a hole in your pocket. Skybox will help you get to that point more consistently than your own brain. Trust me. And I think you know that. Check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg if you're subscribed to the Rippy Rights newsletter. That's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a 16-ounce prime strip and a $5 and a pack of sausage for 20 bucks. So it's 16-ounce prime strip for 15 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstock your grilling weekend. Watching football, weather's getting a little bit cooler. It could not be more perfect grilling season. You need to go check them out. Got the Lane Train Special, six-ounce bacon wrap filet, all kinds of sausages, fresh seafood. It's the best place in Mississippi and really for the world, for that matter, to get meat. Don't go to Kroger. Don't go to Walmart. Go to your local butcher shop. Greg wants to make sure you have a good grilling experience. The food speaks for itself. The sausage, seafood, get you some crab stuffed mushrooms. They're absolutely phenomenal. Greg loves grilling, and it shows in the product that they put out. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. No real concrete open today before we get to Bennett, but I just wanted to offer a couple of Auburn thoughts, I guess, before we get into this interview, because I think you'll learn a lot about the Auburn aspect of it. But some of the stuff you'll hear in a little bit, I think, will kind of make a little more sense when you consider it from the old Miss angle. And there's a couple of things that I think in this game will be 
fairly important to Ole Miss's success, and that will be one, whether Braylon Sanders plays, because you've kind of seen we now have a two, basically a two week sample size of what this receiving core looks like when he's not on the field, right? He goes out early on in the Tennessee game with a leg injury, and I think he's dealing a little bit with the shoulder as well, but he leaves the game with a leg injury. And Ole Miss just kind of sort of makes do. Corral runs the football 30 times. And then last week you saw, I mean, I think you saw how the, the coaching staff felt about the receiving core after Drummond and I guess after Sanders, but for the sake of the argument, him not being out there, really just after Drummond and the rest of the healthy receivers, I think you kind of saw how they felt about him when you saw Miles Battle make the switch back to receiver in what has felt like, what, like the third, fourth time? I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but hell, the guy's gone from receiver to uh, kind of toyed around a little bit at defensive back and then seemingly, I guess, last year made the full-time switch. I'm pretty confident at a certain point he played a little bit of defensive back at some point under Matt Luke, but I think that was more having to do with some scholarship uh, issues in terms of them just having able bodies out there to play. But you get my point. Him going back and playing some offense is, uh, I think, pretty indicative of how how they feel about their receiver depth. I mean, it just seemed kind of to be a random hodge hodgepodge of things and trying to throw anything at the wall and make it work. JJ Henry got into the game and got a target on a deep ball. You saw a little bit of Plumley. You saw more Jaden Jackson than Dennis, which I found to be a bit fascinating. Dennis did end up playing in the game. I think he played one snap. I was assuming before the snap counts came out that he was just a complete scratch. Like he didn't enter the game. So not really sure what was up there. Not sure if it was a health related thing or what was going on with that one. But I think this is going – Sanders' health and him availability and ability to be on the field I think is going to be a pretty significant thing in this game because Ole Miss has gotten by okay in two games without Mingo, like the two games that Sanders played, right? Alabama, I know there's not a whole lot you can take away from that, but they weren't you know, struggling tremendously to throw the football down the field the entire game. And then they threw it fine against Arkansas, even though – the running game was working and Corral only threw it 21 times, if I'm not mistaken. But just having that second guy out there to where you can keep drumming in the slot and have someone opposite of him to have to have a little bit more of a threat, I think, is a huge game changer. And the second part of that is what you're about to hear from Bennett is Auburn's secondary, which I think most thought would be the strength of their defense heading into the year, has actually been really without question the weakest part. First-year head coach Derek Mason has switched to a lot of different zone concepts, which is pretty contradictory to a lot of man stuff that they did under Kevin Steele, and they haven't adjusted. And it's a lot of it, according to Bennett, as you'll hear in a minute, I don't want to spoil the entire interview, but I kind of suspected some of this when watching as much Auburn as I could so far this year. It's a lot of miscommunications, which when you have a good and elite-level quarterback like quarterback like Matt Corral, um, he's going to prey on things. Like that. I mean, that's that's really just kind of taking candy from a baby in terms of not being on the same page communication wise on a consistent basis against a quarterback like that. But he is going to have to have someone to create separation and throw the ball to miscommunication or not. So I think Sanders playing in this game um, is going to be pretty significant. I I don't know. Again, I'm not around the program every day, as you guys know. I don't feel like I need to keep reiterating that, but seems like he maybe was close to playing last week. It doesn't seem like a major injury. I would lean towards him playing. That's just a halfway educated guess, I would say at best. But I think that's going to be important because I think Ole Miss is going to have um, a real opportunity to throw the ball down the field with great success if they have the personnel to do so. And again, if they're able, I think as always every game, I mean, this offense goes as the running game goes, right? That's really kind of what 
what fuels the car here. That's the gasoline in the car is the running game and having Corral uh, in his elite arm talent and decision-making is really just kind of the, uh, I would say all of the amenities that come with a nice car, but really what makes it go is the running game. And so Auburn's been pretty good against the run. Their front seven has been pretty good. They've had a couple of the transfers on the defensive line and a couple of guys step up um, that I think will definitely be a test for this Ole Miss offensive line, who of course is without Ben Brown, which that stinks, but, Again, if there's a silver lining and all of that, if you don't know what I'm alluding to, Ben Brown was announced to be out for the year. I think he announced it on his Instagram page uh, with a torn bicep. But again, if there's some sort of silver lining to it, Weldon's hit it this a couple of times. It's going to be easier for Ole Miss to get by with uh, you know subpar, suboptimal guard play than it would be at tackle. I think with all the offensive line reshuffling, Ole Miss is pretty fortunate that they've stayed healthy at tackle with Broker and James. Because to be honest, can you name who you would put in at either tackle if one of them or both of them went out, that being Broker or James? Because I'm not sure I can. But guard, they've kind of been able to patch it together and make it work. They actually looked pretty good when Bryce Ramsey came in and played center and Orlando Umana got to go back to guard. If you'll remember, Umana played a little bit of guard at Utah before moving to center. And I think he seemed fairly comfortable there. And then you've had Jordan Rhodes and said Melton that have had to play in the absence of Caleb Warren and have gotten a lot of quality snaps, a little bit of trial by fire there, but they haven't been, you know, complete disasters by any stretch of the imagination. And you presumably going to get Warren back in some capacity. I hinted at this, a little bit on the Sunday show about how the reason Ole Miss went to Ramsey at center to move Umana to guard was in replacement of Caleb Warren. I didn't think it was an injury and watching the game a second time and really even actually going back and trying to figure out when he left and when he came back in the third time on Monday. Um, I, I think it was just a matter of maybe he came back a week, not too early, but he was really kind of pushing it in terms of his availability to play. And they didn't want to overdo it in terms of his snap count was sort of the, the, impression i got uh, i haven't watched the tuesday or no wednesday availability excuse me um so i'm not sure if that's something kiffin or anyone on the coaching staff has alluded to but that was my best guess so point being it it does suck that ben brown's out for the year there's really no way around it but the fact that old miss has been able to stay healthy at tackle i think is going to help them be able to get around this as opposed to being injured really just all on the interior and exterior offensive line i really think they'll be fine uh you know this offensive line hasn't gelled uh, very well on the road uh, that's been something that Weldon has been on top of. Communication seemed to be an issue. They got a little bit rattled at Tennessee. Jordan Hare gets loud. I'm sure many of you have been there. That's one of the more underrated loud stadiums in the Southeastern Conference, in my opinion. And they're going to have their hands full, but I do think covering covering up for a lost guard uh, instead of a tackle will uh, certainly be something that Ole Miss will be able to do with a little bit more ease. And the I guess the original point before I kind of got on an offensive line tangent there, I was talking about Ole Miss's ability to run the ball. Auburn's been pretty good running the ball, and I think there's going to be some situations where Ole Miss is going to have to move the ball pretty consistently through the air. I think Ole Miss will be able to run on Auburn a little bit, um, particularly kind of given the way that they they pushed all the right buttons with the running backs, right? All three of them played a pretty uniquely important role. And for the first time you've seen all year, Jaron Ely was the speed back, a little bit of the home run hitter that had those you know, third and 13 run for a touchdown and a third and 19 conversion after he had a touchdown called back that really altered the course of that game in a lot of ways. You saw Snoop wear them down in between the tackles. And while I think you'll see a little bit more Henry Parrish in this game in terms of running the ball, he did have a couple important catches uh, to kind of supplement what would, what was a pretty depleted receiving core. So they pushed all the right buttons there, but Auburn has been stout, pretty stout against the run. And Ole Miss hasn't played a run defense that has been that good since 
say Arkansas, but how Ole Miss really just gashed them so badly from a schematic standpoint and getting to the edge, you didn't really see that. But I guess my point is I don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to make a living entirely uh, kind of playing the way they played at Tennessee and to a degree against LSU. I think Ole Miss is going to be forced into some more passing situations, and I'm curious to see what that looks like. I don't think Ole Miss will struggle throughout the night running the ball. Shit, they'd better better hope not. But I do think that there's going to come a time where Ole Miss is going to have to convert three, four long passes that are going to be pretty significant plays in this game, and I'm curious to see how they do that. And, of course, it will be a hell of a lot easier if Braylon Sanders is out there. Last thought I'll offer to you on the defensive side of the ball before we get to Bennett Durando is – Pretty obvious. I'm not really break groundbreaking breaking any news here. I was about to say groundbreaking. I don't think that would be the right phrase. But if Ole Miss can continue to play as well as it has the last couple of weeks against the run against Tennessee, who's pretty good running club, uh, LSU not really. There was the one outlier against Florida. I still don't understand how Dan Mullen managed to do that. A team that could not run the football ran for seventy something yards. I think it technically was eighty four uh, against Central Michigan and could not run the ball. Ran for three twenty one on them. Ole Miss bottles them up last week, even though. LSU came out with a couple concepts that were pretty effective on the first couple of drives, but hell, LSU had 71 yards at halftime on the ground on 21 rushes and finished with 77. If Ole Miss can kind of continue that and they can really bottle up Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby, I, I think, I mean, I, putting the game in the hands of Bo Nix, I think is still going to bode pretty well for Ole Miss. Bo Nix is coming off the best game of his Auburn career. I think he goes on the road at Arkansas delivers a 21 of 26 performance, but 220 something yards and two touchdowns. He was awesome for as much as people wanted to make of that LSU game where, you know, the kind of viral play from that game was him running around and throwing that touchdown right before the half. Um, in a game after he got benched. And I get why that was kind of a watershed moment for him as a quarterback. And he's looked like a different player since, even with that tough Georgia loss sandwich in the middle, he's coming off the much better game. He was still 23 of 44 against LSU. And Auburn really won that game because LSU kind of let them, for the lack of a better phrase, but Auburn ran the football pretty well in that game too. But point being, if you look at the larger sample size of Bo Nix's career, Yes, he's been worse on the road. Yes, he's been much better at home. But if you're able to neutralize their running game and put the ball in his hands, I'm just not sure he's going to be able to do that on a consistent basis for, you know, two and a half to three quarters. Because I do think Auburn will have pretty decent success intermittently running the ball. Pretty much everyone has on Ole Miss. They're, you know, Ole Miss hasn't had a game yet where they've shut down the opposing team's running game for the entire game. Even LSU had success early on. But, you know, if you can get Knicks into – seven third and longs do you feel good about him completing half of those and if you do that's still three to four stops for the Ole Miss defense and you know I think it's going to take more than that for them to win this game given the current state of the offense but I think you'd feel pretty good about that but if Auburn's not having to throw the ball and you know the run is setting up a lot of RPO and run action concepts as well as leaking Bigsby out of the backfield which they really like to do and Sean Shivers when they get into third down situations uh, that's going to be much tougher for for stop for Ole Miss. And I know I'm not really offering any earth-shattering analysis there, but I do think that's going to be important. And I think the first seven to ten snaps in the running game of the game, running plays of the game from Auburn's side are going to be pretty telling because Auburn's offensive line, while they've been pretty good in pass blocking this year from a number standpoint, or at least best I can tell, they've actually kind of regressed from a run blocking standpoint. Not kind of, they really just have. 
And so I'm, I'm curious if they come out and they have early success, if that's an indicator for things to come for the rest of the game, or if Ole Miss can sort of right the ship like they did against LSU. I would contend this is a much better Auburn offensive line than LSU's was. I don't think really anyone would argue that. And so I think if Ole Miss neutralizes the running game, particularly in the first five to seven runs, how does that change the way Mike Bobo calls the game? Because one of the things that he's done lately is Auburn's running game has sputtered a little bit against Arkansas, slightly against LSU, against some better run defenses, is that they've catered to Bo Nix's strength. He was much – if you go back and watch the first three, four games of Auburn's year versus the last two, really the last three, he was mostly a pocket, pa- mostly a pocket passer. And I think Nix needs his feet to get in a rhythm. I think he needs that sort of playmaking ability to when things are not always going great. You know, he's a little erratic. He's not always the most accurate, particularly pushing the ball further down the field. But when he can you know, escape clean pocket, broken down pocket, whatever, and make a play with his feet, I think that gives him confidence because I don't think he would ever admit this or anyone's written much about this, but I do think he loses confidence sometimes. And so I'm curious if Ole Miss is able to neutralize their more traditional running game how that bodes well for Bo Nix and what he thinks he has to do with his feet and what they do from a design standpoint with his feet. Because if you're relying on Bo Nix carrying the ball 15 to 20 times and then having to throw it close to 30 uh, because the running game with the two backs is not very good, uh, I would say that's about as good as a chance as Ole Miss has in this game. And I don't mean to make it sound like their margin for error or their path to winning is slim. I'm just saying that would be the most optimal scenario for them to come out with a win in this game. I, I think you would render Auburn's offense, which is pretty middle of the road in most every category, pretty toothless if you're able to have some early success against the running game. So uh, that was just a couple of Auburn thoughts I'd had over the last couple of days. Let's get to Bennett Durando. But before we get to Bennett Durando, we have a new sponsor on this show. This podcast and all the MPW Digital Podcasts, if I'm not mistaken, are now sponsored by Manscaped. Yes, that's right, Manscaped. The best in, best in men's below-the-waist grooming, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. We call this a pubic service announcement, if you will. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. Join over the join the over 2 million men Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you. Uh, if right now, if you go to manscaped.com and you, you use the promo code MPW, that's for MPW Digital, you get 20% off any purchase. Uh, imagine getting things taken care of down there in the most effortlessly way possible. That's what the lawnmower 4.0 is going to do with you. It includes a multifunction on off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 K. I don't know what measurement that is, but I'm going to pretend like I do led spotlight on or off. You got a spotlight to take care of your boys down there. You want to take care of your jewels. Manscaped is the best way to do that. The 4.0 offers wireless charging. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer uh, with Manscaped. They take me time to the best time in the bathroom to in confident to enhance your confidence with some nice smooth boys. That is again 20% off manscaped.com. Take care of things down there. You don't want things to get fast and loose, all wild and crazy over there. I was told the 70s were a wild time. That's a thing of the past, and Manscaped is here to uh, mow your lawn below the waist. So check them out, manscaped.com. Use the promo code if he doubled 20% off. I'm going to tell you that took me one take, and uh, you're going to wink, wink, and believe me. I've just achieved my lifelong dream. This is why I went to journalism school, was to have this podcast sponsored by a pube shaving company. Awesome. Check them out. Manscaped.com for real. They're the best. I got the Manscaped boxers. 
uh, I got the whole entire kit. It uh, It is definitely worth the price of admission. Check them out, manscaped.com. Here is Bennett Durando. All right, we now welcome on Bennett Durando, the Auburn beat writer for the Montgomery Advertiser. Check him out at Bennett Durando, D-U-R-A-N-D-O on Twitter, MontgomeryAdvertiser.com uh, in the pages of the Montgomery Advertiser. Really fascinating matchup this week. We'll get into a lot of that. We'll talk, I imagine, a ton of Bo Nix. And uh, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more. How are you, man? I appreciate you joining us. Oh, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. It's uh, it's good to talk. I, I think we we met in Missouri uh, when I used to cover Missouri and, and Ole Miss was there. We did. We ate at some. It was me, you, Sus, and Peter Ball, if I'm not mistaken. I think we ate at a, maybe it was a pizza place. I don't remember. It was somewhere really good. Uh, I remember that much. Yeah, it was the Heidelberg. It was like, it, it's one of the old classics that uh, it, all the journalism school people there would go to just because it's right across the street from, from the main journalism building. So it was sort of the go-to hang, getting the quintessential experience. I think that was my first time in Columbia. I've been one more time since. It was really cool. I mean, that was a picturesque, if I remember correctly, kind of fall weekend. The weather was pretty good. Like it was six o'clock kickoff crowd was good. That was a lot of fun for my first time there. As you were, we're kind of talking about before we started recording, you were new transitioning down to the Auburn beat after leaving Mizzou. We were talking about, I guess, kind of the differences in the two beats. What's the transition been like? Um, have you, what, has there been a, like, I guess a uh, signature moment in terms of like the wake up call of uh, football being a religion in Alabama? Uh, man, I, a specific wake up call is sort of tough, but I, I mean, pretty instantly I realized just how much people care, uh, about especially Auburn football, uh, and especially in relation to Alabama here, yeah. <laughs> um, like that, that was an immediate thing. And a lot of the people I've talked to, um, you know, I, I did a story where I was talking to Patrick Nix, uh, Bo's dad, before Auburn went to Penn State, because Patrick's last career college game was a bowl game against Penn State in 96. Oh, wow. uh, and they got they got crushed by Penn State. And it was like a rainy day uh, at the Outback Bowl. and It was horrible. And so I wanted to ask him about it. I was like, you know, sort of a, another funny connection between the careers of a father son duo as Auburn quarterbacks uh, 25 years apart and and he was like I'll be honest with you the Penn State game like barely mattered to us because the week before or not the week before but in the last game of the regular season uh, Auburn had beaten Alabama at Jordan-Hare and that was uh, all that really mattered because the game had only recently been moved to going back and forth between Tuscaloosa and Auburn from Birmingham. And so Auburn had not lost the game at Jordan Hare yet. And to Patrick Nix, it was like, just don't be the first quarterback to lose an iron bowl at Auburn. Um, so he was like, after that, it was like, it was sort of house money in the bowl game. As long as we won that iron bowl, that was all that mattered. So I, I you know, the little things like that, where I've been getting a sense of, uh, you know, what, what matters in Auburn. You'll get your first Iron Bowl taste, too, in Jordan-Hare, if I'm not mistaken, this year. That should be pretty wild with the way this season's shaping up because that place – I was talking to someone – I think I was talking to the Rivals guys on our post-game show on, on Sunday or Saturday afternoon, and we were talking about how, like, 
like Ole Miss, like Vaught Hemingway doesn't really get loud, but Jordan, Jordan Hare is like one of the ones that to me gets sneaky loud. Like you don't, you walk up to it. It's not necessarily like large, I guess, like cavernous seating that goes way up like Bryant Denny or, um, or Death Valley or something like that. But man, that place gets loud. Uh, Ole Miss was there in 19 when Rich Rodriguez was still trying to jam a square peg into a round hole with Plumlee at quarterback. And Ole Miss actually played pretty well that night, but couldn't get anything going offensively. We were on the field for that last drive, and I was like, shit, this is this is almost like deafening. I was pretty impressed with how loud it got. It it does. I uh you know, the thing is there's a it's a closed press box, which is sort of a right. bummer. I'm always a fan of open air. Um, and it and it's pretty sealed off but you can still sort of tell just enough from that. And I've, I've tried to go down onto the field as close as I can to before game time a couple times this season, even though I, I, you know, there are COVID restrictions and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm not really down there at the end of games or anything if it's close late, but uh, I'm trying to think, I think I've been to 10 SEC stadiums now between covering Missouri and covering Auburn and Jordan Hare is definitely one of the louder ones I've been to it, it compares with, you know, the swamp and, and death Valley and sort of the ones that have that reputation as being the loudest. I put it actually probably above college station to be completely honest. College station's weird. It's like a, it's almost like a soccer stadium type of field to it, but in terms of just like intimidating noise, I'd actually probably put uh, Auburn's above that one. Speaking wow. of like adverse environments and going on the road, that's probably as good a place to start as any with this Auburn team. This is a really fascinating matchup because I'm not necessarily sure at the beginning of the year if look, it's a late October SEC game between two teams you thought would be pretty competitive in the West, but I'm not necessarily sure that I would have envisioned the stakes of this game being what they were um, kind of to round out the month of October. You know, we were Ole Miss finished up the LSU game and I was calling into the post game show. And that was when Alabama was down 14 to seven at that point. And we were like, look, they're going to win this game. But like, should Tennessee pull a shocker? This Ole Miss Auburn game literally becomes the game of the year. I'm not even sure you can make an argument for another one. And even, you know, even with Alabama pulling that one out, there's still a ton of to play for here because as odd as it sounds, Auburn still controls their own destiny. Ole Miss needs some help after losing to Alabama. But there's three teams and one of the three teams out of Ole Miss a&M and Auburn, none of which have played each other yet, are going to kind of be the last team standing if they have a prayer to kind of, you know, if Alabama does slip up one more time. Auburn's the only one that completely trolls their own destiny. What's kind of the feel and sense you get from this Auburn team um, after a bye week heading into uh, heading into what should be a really fascinating game? It's weird. I, I mean, you sort of hit it. I, I don't think anyone expected that we'd be at this point where – you look at the SEC West standings, and I mean, part of it is just that this division is pretty solid from top to bottom. Even LSU is a which is a mess, but they're a talented mess, you know. Right, so, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, so I mean, everyone's pretty good. They're the division's beating itself up. I think every team in the division has a win against a ranked team right now, um, and it just so happens that Auburn has won on the road against the two teams that are at the bottom of those standings right now uh, in LSU and Arkansas. So, um, you know, the, they do control their own destiny as, as weird as that seems. And I think Auburn and Ole Miss are sort of at similar juncture, junctures in the season uh, where after this, they both have to play AM still. And that's sort of the other big game. And they're playing, the, they're playing each other and then they play AM, and then you sort of wait till the end of the season and see if 
both teams went out and then, you know, obviously the Iron Bowl will have whatever stakes for whoever wins this week, potentially. So in terms of the hunt to catch Alabama, it's unlikely for either team, but for Auburn to be in this spot right now, especially when you sort of consider where they were at a few weeks ago with Bo Nix getting benched and they fire their first year receivers coach, they barely escaped Georgia state. Uh, it sort of seemed like things were off the rails a little bit, uh, not even getting into conference play yet. And now for, for them to be two and one at this point, the SEC with your only loss to Georgia is a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you nailed it with that. It's, it's a weird SEC West this year because normally it's either Alabama destroys everyone or there's one somewhat worthy challenger to Alabama. And then there's a gap between, you know, those two teams and everyone else, whoever the second team may be. But this year it's like Alabama is a great above, but they look somewhat more vulnerable than they have over the course of the last, I'd say three to four years. And then no one else sucks. Like there's three, I would say pretty good teams in A&M, Auburn and Ole Miss. And I'd actually probably throw Arkansas in there. They just had a kind of a brutal schedule there. Uh, that the game in Arlington really kind of screwed them over in terms of like how that schedule shook out, having to go to Georgia and then all Arkansas at home after going to Ole Miss, or excuse me, Auburn at home after going to Ole Miss. But point being, no one sucks, I guess is my point. And so if you can just get Alabama to slip up one more time, like things could get weird. And you mentioned Auburn it being interesting that they're at this point. The story kind of stops and starts with Bo Nix, though, doesn't it? Because he, you had that weird Georgia State game where I was not – I don't remember who Ole Miss played that week, but I wasn't watching clearly Auburn-Georgia State. And then all of a sudden in the second half, I was like, shit, I have to flip this on. Like, what is, what is going on here? And T.J. Finley's in the game, and I believe that was their only offensive touchdown of the game where he leads them down all the way 90-something yards. That's probably a good a place to start as any is that moment where he gets benched. When that's going on – just sitting there being at the game, getting a feel for it. Did you think that was in the cards considering the way the game was going? Or did you think they were going to go down with the ship to a very average Georgia state club? Uh, just with Nick's kind of riding it out. What had happened in that game to lead up to that? It, it was hard to predict because it was such a watershed moment for the Brian Harson era, you know, right. it, it, his fourth game as a head coach. So you, is he going to make that kind of decision? Is he going to bench a, legacy third year starting quarterback uh against you know a sunbelt team uh, it's so it, as the game develops uh i think there there were some uh we want finley chance actually from the student section before oh, uh before bo got benched and so you know i obviously that would suck to hear if you're bo nix um yes, it would. uh because you know he he loves auburn obviously his his family he's just Auburn through and through. And um, when he did get benched, I, I, I didn't think they would actually go through with it. Um, but Harson felt something had to be done. Part of it, uh, Nix's deep ball had looked really bad for the last two weeks. He had, he threw some lollipops at Penn state too, where it was just like something didn't look quite right. Um, he got banged up in that game a little bit too, didn't he? A little it, it wasn't it wasn't that bad I, I don't think that really had much to do with it but I you know part of it also was that you're adjusting to a new offense and it was sort of an, a, a Mike Bobo offense that wanted Bo Nix to be a pretty standard pocket passer uh 
he wasn't using his legs very much those first few games. Um, and, and I think that there, it was a little bit of a growing pain. Maybe they're trying to mesh, uh, you know, the style of quarterback that he is with that offense that he was in. Um, and, and, you know, it, it worked against Akron. He was with obviously Akron's horrible, but, um, right. but he had an amazing game against Akron. He started 11 for 11. Um, and you're, and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, well, he's pretty good. And the other part of it was, Auburn's receivers have not been uh, very good as predicted. They lost their three guys to the NFL from last season. So it's sort of a receiver by committee situation. Um, guys struggled to get open. Drops have been an issue. So there's a number of things that sort of lead up to him getting benched. And then once he does, uh, you're like, wow, are, they, are these the end times in game four of the Harson era? Uh, and, and you're sort of watching – you know, Nix was sort of on his own on the sideline, I, I think sort of just contemplating it as the first Finley drive was sort of going on. He sort of hung back around Auburn's 40-yard line. And Finley had a decent drive. I think it ended with a turnover on downs, though, in uh, or maybe a fumble in Georgia State territory. And so at that point, you're like, all right, they're probably sticking with Finley. Um, and after that, uh, Bo started talking with Finley a lot before – uh, every drive. And, and it's something that they did anyway. Um, usually it would be Finley sort of in Nick's ears about something that he might've noticed or just little words of encouragement before a drive. And, you know, it, Bo was pretty candid about it. Uh, afterward, you know, he said it, it sucks, obviously you're pissed to get benched, but he sort of took it in stride, I think, and realized, look, and the immediate problem is we have to find a way to beat Georgia state. Um, and so Finley really credited Bo a lot after the game with, with just some of the, you know, the honesty that he would give on the sideline. With If there's something that he saw that Finley wasn't doing well, he was going to be candid about that and, and just, you know, holding his head up and sort of uh, being that moral support. And obviously Finley goes on the amazing drive at the end and, and it came down to a a fourth down play that very easily could have gone differently. So um, it, it was weird to watch play out. Everyone goes into that game thinking it's going to be another snoozer. And then, you know, no one could have seen any of that coming, obviously. Yeah. And so that happens. They survive. I know there was a controversial chalker, Mark curls crew, SEC officiating. There's another controversy and, but they survive and they get out of that game. Okay. What was that? So I could never get a solid feel for what was going to happen the next week going into Death Valley, just from your standpoint. And of course you were going to media availabilities and I'm sure talking to people. Did you get the sense that Knicks was going to start when they took the field in Baton Rouge or did you kind of just go in not knowing what was going to happen? What was the sentiment like? And was it surprising at all to see Knicks trot out for the first series uh, in Baton Rouge that night? Uh, for most of the week, it was uncertainty. Um, and I actually, you know, purely speculation based thought that they were going to stick with Finley and also the timing of it was just, that's wild. what I thought too, for the record, not that I would know shit, but like, I thought the same thing. I was like, surely they'll stick with him. I thought it was over. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, you know, it, it's one of those, it's like, what do you do there? I, 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 I'm glad that I'm not a coach. I couldn't make right. decision in that spot, but it, the other element of it is it's Finley's homecoming. Uh, against LSU too like who would have thought that he is suddenly the the man in the cape uh going into that LSU game 
uh, I did just the timing of it was, was wild, but, um, I found out Saturday afternoon that they were going to go with Knicks, um, and, and was able to report that actually, but, but Auburn didn't tell, uh, Finley until Friday night that Knicks was going to start. So, um, I, I think it was, you know, a practice-based decision, um, and, you know, they, they made up their mind. They wanted to stick with Knicks. And I think they credit to Harson and Bobo. They sort of worked through ways to get Knicks involved with his legs more. Um, and, and that was part of it. You know, they, uh, they had a better game plan ready to sort of fit him without, you know, giving up too much of what the philosophy is of this new offense. So, um, yeah, I, after there was a pretty good sense by Saturday afternoon that it was Knicks um, and that, and that there was a pre-scripted situation where, where Finley was going to come in for the third series, which he did. And then it was back to Knicks for the rest of the game. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the the running part of it because the, the highlight from that game is the crazy ass play where he's running around and then makes kind of a miracle throw right before halftime to really kind of kind of light a fire under Auburn. They hadn't had much going for them in that game, but the actual story was the design runs, the way he used his feet kind of within the scheme. And you mentioned at the top was talking about how Bobo wanted him to be a pocket passer and not really use his legs at all. And I'm curious how much have they talked about that shift in mentality and what do you think went into it? Because seeing two and a half years or whatever it is, or three years of Bo Nix, like that's always been somewhat of an element of his game. He's not like a true dual threat. I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but it's, it's not like a major focal point of their offense. It wasn't under Gus either, but it was always there and to not use it seemed to kind of deteriorate his confidence a little bit, particularly with kind of a shit receiving core for the lack of a better phrase. Like if there were ever a year where he might need to use his feet a little bit more, you would think it'd be this year. What did they like? What is the sense you kind of get as to what made them figure that out as opposed to just say, Hey, we're rolling with TJ Finley. And what have they said since about that? Well, maybe desperation played in. I mean, when Georgia state's a wake up call, like there's no other way to put it. It, um, You know, you escape that with a win, but that can go a lot differently. If, if you lose to a Georgia state, uh, in year one as an SEC coach, you know, it's, you shouldn't write the obituary immediately, but it, not great. it's early signs of how long are you going to last in this league? Um, so they knew something needed to change. Uh, you know, Harson fired Cornelius Williams, the receivers coach, uh, after that game, which was another, just sort of a shock that was sent through the program, I think, um, and, and you know what, this, this is sort of the prevailing moral of the story so far with Harson and this coaching staff is they're not afraid to make big changes and uh, adjust things based on what they're seeing. And that, that goes for within a game in terms of making the adjustments and, you know, big picture, uh, making, putting Nick's on the bench and going with Finley. Uh, and I think that working in some of those design runs was just another sort of facet of that, of, of Harson and Bobo being willing to sort of communicate through that and decide what might work a little better. And it's not like they were, you know, repellent to Bonix running the ball before it wasn't like, they're like, you're in timeout. If you, if you 
leave the pocket or something. But, um, but you know, it, again, it was those design runs. It was, he's a natural playmaker. He was a five-star coming out of high school. Um, and, you know, there, there's always going to be a little bit of a struggle adapting to a new system. And Bo Nix has had to adapt to a lot of change at Auburn. And I think it, you know, I think it was just the coaching staff realizing that, you know, this is maybe a tweak we can make. Uh, the other thing is that LSU usually is like drop eight. Um, so, I mean, you're going to have more opportunities to scramble and, and just sort of let your quarterback be a smart playmaker. And, and if he sees room to scramble, that's going to be part of the offense uh, inevitably in a game like that. So, um, you know, I, I think it's just, it comes back to what we've learned about Harson being willing to make changes. Do you think there's an aspect of not that like to the team or whatever the coaching staff or whoever it is around the program didn't respect Bo Nix before. I don't necessarily mean to insinuate that, but in the day and age of, you know, when shit goes wrong, you have the free transfer and kids are out. I mean, you see the other side of the coin where, you know, Caleb Williams comes in for Spencer Rattler and he's essentially in the portal within that week of practice. And you have the weird deal that whole week heading into what was that Kansas state or TCU? No TCU, I think. And then into this week, yeah, but that was fun. he did. <laughs> He, he didn't clearly did not do that. And I guess it's a little bit easier when you get, you know, your job back for the lack of a better phrase going in the next week, but to respond to something like that and not wilt and come out with two really ridiculous road performances. I know they had the Georgia game in the middle, but I mean, how fond me, the quarterback that has performed well against Georgia this year, that doesn't really exist. Do you think he, they view him differently or he won people over if there's anything to that aspect of it from the way he's played since he was benched, because he looks like an entirely different player. Yeah, absolutely. I, it says a lot about him, you know, that, and, and sort of just his toughness that, that he stuck that out because, you know, I mean, it's tough. And, and part of, you know, to go back to what I was talking about earlier is, you know, Bo Nix's dad was an Auburn quarterback. Um, you know, Auburn was sort of the plan for him from the start. I, I don't think he was standing back there on the sideline thinking about where he was going to transfer when, when TJ Finley came into that game. Um, you know, I, he's, he's a tough kid. And, and I think that everyone in Auburn believes in him. Uh, you know, that there's, there's sort of a recognition of him being, that local guy, that family guy. And, you know, everyone in Auburn wants to see him succeed, I think, in this fan base. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of him looking like a different quarterback, I, you know, that sort of has been a common refrain these last few weeks. Uh, but when we've asked Bo about it, he's pretty much, no, nah, I'm doing the same things. Um, I'm, you know, if you, he's like, if you go back to Penn state, I'm trying to do, trying to make the same plays, trying to do the same things pretty much. He's not trying to change a ton about his game. Um, and you know, it, it's working. It, it, he's, he's figured things out. I thought that as much attention as he got for the LSU game and that play in particular, the, the fourth down play, cause they were down 13, nothing right there. That was, um, I mean, if, if he doesn't, extend that play for 10 and a half seconds, then 
maybe LSU goes into halftime with a 20 nothing lead instead it ends up being 13 10 and Auburn's right there in the game but as as much attention as that got he was even better against Arkansas that's uh, what I was about to get to was the the game that you actually you see a different player it was 21 to 26 and really winning that game not by himself per se but like they won that game because he was awesome like yeah. that's the actual good performance the other one just felt a little more gutsy than actual like holy shit this guy's on one today yeah, no, I, I mean, part of the thing about that is uh, Auburn had a stretch where they played horribly, um, and it went from 14-3 to to 17-14 Arkansas, and Auburn gave up the ball quickly trying to run it three times in a row, which is its own issue that they've inexplicably, you know, had trouble establishing Tank Bigsby, who was, you know, supposed to be you know, the face of this offense. And I don't think that's necessarily Tank Bigsby's fault, but, um, you know, things just weren't going right. And Auburn makes a, a play on defense. They get the defensive touchdown. Um, they end up getting the ball back on another fourth down stop. And uh, Harson and, and Bobo, they, they like to draw up a big play uh, out of a turnover, out of a takeaway. Um, and, you know, that's something that, that Bo had struggled with the deep ball had not always been accurate. They'd sort of scaled it back a little bit on those. Um, but he had hit one earlier in the game for the first touchdown. And so they went for it to Demetrius Robertson. It's a 71 yard play, a perfect throw. Robertson was covered well. Um, and a great catch too, because a defender got like a left arm in there it was really close to being knocked away, but everything had to be perfect about it. Uh, Bo also got destroyed as he threw the ball, which makes it even more impressive. Uh, Arkansas was bearing down on him. So, um, you know, that, that was a massive play to reestablish their double digit lead in that game. And he, he was steady. He was steady and he made a lot of plays with his legs down the stretch, converted a third down ran for um, a game clinching touchdown on their last possession. So uh it, it was as well as he's played, I think, while he's been at Auburn. And obviously I can't speak for his first two years here quite as much because I wasn't closely watching every game. But, um, I mean, that, that was superstar Bo Nix in Arkansas. And so the, one of the reasons Auburn is where they're at is because, I mean, how you win two road games in the SEC West, you only have to play four a year, I guess, out of the four road games. All four actually probably aren't West ones, but you get my point. Like, they've gone on the road twice and won already, and they'll, you know, if they do it one more time, how they're in great shape. But that's been kind of his struggle, right? Like, the whole thing was like, oh, Bo Nix on the road just kind of is what he is at this point. It's feel like the 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 book, the end of that book was kind of sealed at Penn State. Like, if he didn't have a good performance there, it felt like the end, and that's really kind of how he's re, rewritten the story. I'm curious with that Georgia game sandwiched in the middle, because it's such a, it's such a weird way to both gauge a team and a player with the way Georgia is defensively, and they seem to be just kind of leaps and bounds better than most anyone they're going to play uh, particularly on that side of the ball this year. Has any of the Finley talk crept in at all since that original benching? And did Georgia bring any of that? Or was Georgia just kind of one of those deals where it's like, this is what it is. Glad not many, like, you know, no one really got hurt of terrible significance and we'll just move on. What was the kind of the, the one dud in the middle per se, which is probably not even fair to call it a dud, but you get my point. Like they had a tough one in the middle of those two. What was kind of the vibe like after that one heading into Arkansas? 
Yeah, there was never any doubt. I it was it was always Bo Nix's starting job. Um, and the thing about the Georgia game, you know, they they got their asses kicked, but uh, they moved the ball. Right. Um, they. Uh, I'm trying to think. There was a drive toward the end of the first half. Their first drive of the game was like a masterpiece. It was as great as this offense has looked. And then it ended in a field goal. Um, it was like 16 plays, 68 yards, I think, uh, converted a couple fourth downs. Um, so, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily the other thing was there were seven drops. Um, and I think different, different metrics have had it at a different count. I've seen seven, I've seen six. There were some people saying, a lot more, but that was sort of a low point for the receivers more, more so than it was for Knicks. Um, and I think people recognized that, uh, his, his adjusted completion percentage is like 76% this season when you account for drops and throwaways. So, um, you know, the, the Georgia game was the Georgia game. I, it, it sort of is a throwaway in itself, but you know, they scored a touchdown. They moved the ball a couple other times. It just didn't come up with what they needed to come up with in the red zone. But, you know, as, as much as Auburn fans want to beat Georgia and as much as it sucks to lose by 24 points to Georgia, there were promising signs and, and in a weird way, it was encouraging that some of the mistakes were self-inflicted as drops, as opposed to just Georgia completely dominating particularly against an all-time defense in an era where those aren't really supposed to exist anymore. It's not an environment where that would cultivate an all-time defense. It really is kind of remarkable to watch. So we've got most of the Nick story out of the way. He seems like a different player, but I mean, hell, at, the, at this point, when you have two more bad games, it could take another turn. It just seems like a hell of a roller coaster with Nick's. But I mean, if he's here to stay, they got a shot like against pretty much anyone they play. And I think that's probably when we talked about that reinvigorated confidence and got the way he responded to the benching, that's probably the biggest thing to where if he continues to play that way, they're going to have a shot against pretty much anyone kind of looking at a couple big picture things before we get into this game. It, I think I mentioned before we started recording was like, they're an interesting team. I think you may have said bizarre because they don't do anything overly well, but they also don't suck at anything at all. Just give me your 10,000 foot view. You had the bye week. I'm sure there were quite a few, you know, mid season report cards or something like that written to that point. Like you're kind of at the halfway point. Give me the, the overall perspective halfway, halfway into the season with Auburn, because they're probably still right around maybe a little bit above where people thought they were at, but the path to getting there was certainly a little, little unconventional. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny that you mentioned a midseason report card. My assignment was, uh, or one of my main bi-week assignments was, uh, you know, a, the, the midseason report card where it's just offense, defense, special teams, coaching, and overall. And I'm like going through offense and defense, and I'm, you know, looking back at a couple of the games and just sort of going through some of the stats. And it's, I'm like, man, I feel boring <laughs> with if, if I'm just like B and B for both of these grades, but I feel like that's sort of where it is. There are weak points and there are points that are really strong. Um, I know what you mean though. Cause I did the same thing to a much lesser degree over today. I was like, it's just a lot of, okay. Like, yeah. 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 No, it, it's, it's sort of, it, it's hard to tell. And there are some key you know, stats and stuff that you can sort of take away from that. Um, they're still defending really well against the run. 
you know, power five opponents are averaging 3.66 yards per carry against them. So, you know, and that includes Georgia, who is run heavy and, and Georgia popped a few big ones. But, um, you know, I they they can hang around with anyone in terms of that. They've had some troubles with Derek Mason's defense and adjusting to sort of the styles of that because, you know, under steel, it was a lot more sort of press man coverage. Um, now it's a lot, there's a lot more zone involved. There's a lot more sort of uh, off man, they'll call it top down coverage. And so, you know, adjusting to those things, there's been a lot of miscommunications. Uh, the Penn state game was sort of a, a watershed moment in terms of that because uh, they gave Sean Clifford the game of his life pretty much. And yeah, no kidding on that one. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was amazing. And, you know, a, a lot of quarterbacks have looked pretty good against Auburn. And so that's a point of concern going into Matt Corral, obviously. But, um, you know, that that's sort of been an issue. Can this defense manage to be not one dimensional because they've got a secondary that's got talent? And it was, you know, before the season, I think the the prospect of it was this is going to be one of their stronger position groups um with a great cornerback in Roger McCreary who's been really good um and smoke Monday leading the safety group and you know that sort of seemed like a more promising point uh for them and and yet they've struggled to defend through the air so I don't know it it, it is a bizarre team the run game obviously is another weird one where um it's like the last four games you know, tank is not averaging more than like three and a half per carry, I think. So um, there have been some weird tendencies in the red zone where they'll throw a lot more than they should be. They're disproportionately passing, even though they run a lot better when they're deep in another team's territory. So I, you know, it's, it, you have to sort of find little uh, specific points because, you know, like you said, it's not like, this team's identity is one specifically really good or really bad thing. Yeah, no, that makes a perfect sense. And like you are, you hit on a couple of things that I was kind of dying to get to going into this, that we'll start probably no better place in the secondary. It was weird because I did a season preview of all of Ole Miss opponents. And I think I was talking to Jordan Hill and, but going into the year, you just give a very basic kind of scouting report on Auburn. It's like, okay, you're used to Auburn having a pretty good front seven, a damn good defensive line and an okay is secondary when they're good. The secondary is pretty good, but like it was kind of the opposite heading into the year. You thought, okay, the secondary has a chance to be pretty special. And most of the questions were on the defensive line. I think they returned enough at linebacker where you figured they would be okay. And it's been the opposite. And you hit on something really interesting. They're talking about the difference in coverages where it was a lot of in your face, man, defense under steel. And it's a lot more zone concepts now how much of the struggles in the secondary that they've had, because that's probably the most surprising part of this football team so far is the adjustment to a different scheme because, and I'm far from some X's and O's in like football and techniques about, but I do know that going from man coverage to a lot of different zone concepts is really difficult to get adjusted to, particularly when you're talking about doing a ton of one thing and then going to a ton of another thing. How much do you think it's that? Or how much do you think it's just the fact that they 
I guess, have struggled from a personnel standpoint? How do you kind of diagnose why they've struggled? It's a little bit of both, I think. Um, you know, they, they've been trying to sort of figure out the go-to for that second cornerback spot and that second safety spot. Um, and, it, and it neither has been quite as deep as they thought before the season, I think. Um, you know, Jalen Simpson has ended up uh, a little more involved at cornerback, uh, rotating with Nehemiah Pritchett because Pritchett struggled sometimes. But, um, you know, part of it is some of that coverage stuff. And, you know, like you, I'm not uh, a savant either, I guess, when it comes to the X's and O's. But I, I tried to go back and watch every one of Clifford's completions in that Penn State game and see what was going wrong. And a lot of it was, you know, guys just maybe not knowing who to pick up uh, in the middle of the field. And, you know, that that's sort so of more communication. Means. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's a ton of communication stuff. And credit to Derek Mason. He's been really good at adjusting throughout a game. Auburn's second half defense has been really good. I think they're averaging like seven and a half points allowed in the second half this year. Um, they've, I know they've shut out four teams in the fourth quarter, uh, which obviously will help if you want to win football games. Um, but you know, I, a lot of it comes back to those miscommunications and just sort of learning how to work in a new system. And it, it's guys who came from another you know, talented players, but the players who are, you know, yeah, you have to learn it's, it's tough. And they've figured out ways to to get through games, I think. And, and it's improved throughout the season. But, um, you know, I, I think we'll probably learn a lot about them against Matt Corral this weekend. What do you think that is attributed to some of the fourth quarter stuff? Because it seems like they generate a pretty good pass rush. I think they're like 19 sacks through seven games on the year. And Ole Miss, oddly enough, is actually at like 23. But that's a little bit skewed in some degree because Auburn's played much better defense as a whole, but like, what do you kind of attribute that to? I know, you know, you lose Owen Popoe or however you say the kid's last name. I'm sure I just butchered it to linebacker, but it doesn't seem like they've missed a beat and they've had some guys step up um, with the Caleb Wooden kid. If I'm not remember correctly, he was outside and he moved more interior now. And that seems to make a hell of a lot of difference with the way he's played. How like, how have they kept it together? Do you think despite the secondary struggles and you mentioned the good adjustments, like do you attribute that to one or two things? It seems like their ability to one stop the run and they have a decent pass rush. Yeah, no, I mean, um, first of all, at linebacker without own Papo, they've Chandler Wooten has stepped in and done a great job. He was leading them in tackles, I think until uh, Zacoby McLean at 15 at Arkansas and, and passed them. But Chandler Wooten was a guy who uh, opted out in 2020 because he had a kid um, and was, you know, worried about, uh, COVID with, with his newborn son. Um, and before the season, after Harson got hired, uh, Wooten sort of went into his office, uh, just to introduce himself and say, Hey, I, I want to be back this year. Um, and Harson admitted, you know, at first he didn't know what Chandler's motivations were with that, uh, with, with sitting out the year and, you know, there's some natural trust issues, I think, from that. And they ended up having a 45-minute conversation just about, you know, football, life, fatherhood, all that. And um, Wooten ends up getting named a team captain uh, before the season. And 
you know, you lose a guy like Papa, who's a damn good linebacker, um, and you need someone to step up. And, and Wooten has been that guy. And, and I think he's one of the more influential voices on that defense just as a leader. Um, so he's, he's been a great tackler. Uh, Caleb Wooden has been, I mean, one of the stories of this team. I, you know, we, you keep seeing crazy stats pop up about him. I, I want to attribute it correctly. It was college football film room that uh, pointed out during the bye week last week that he has a 27.4% pressure rate against like traditional three-step dropbacks, which is wild, especially for an interior lineman because most of your best pass rush is going to come from uh, the outside. So he, I mean, you, if you sort of just focus in on him and watch him for a few plays during a game, uh, some of the pass rush moves that he has are really impressive. He's a dynamic player um, inside and, you know, it's sort of started to come to, fruition I think he had two sacks at Arkansas um and and you know in terms of that getting better element uh one of the things you know I mentioned that Auburn's offense will you know call a big play after a change in momentum sort of thing uh Mason's not afraid to do that either on defense the key point of that Arkansas game was Auburn being down 17-14, Arkansas starts at their own 11, and uh, Mason hadn't really had much reason to rush more than four. You know, they were having trouble getting any pressure. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't – it was sort of hard to tell if the blitz was going to do much more for them, uh, especially the way Arkansas's offense was playing the, you know, sort of middle eight minutes of that game. Um, but Wooden was involved. They – a four-man rush got a sack, put Arkansas back at the five, and then, you know, they're feeling it a little bit more on the sideline. They they finally get to KJ Jefferson, and Mason calls a blitz on the next play, um, and uh, Derek Hall gets back there. It's a strip sack, and it ends up being the touchdown that puts them ahead for good. So, you know, not being afraid to sort of let the flow of a game dictate the play calling. I think on both ends is a is a you know, sort of an interesting factor. And Harson talked a bit about that after the game too, but you know, it's guys stepping up. It's wooden shockingly being one of the best interior uh, defensive linemen in college football. You know, it's, it's things like that. When you, when you don't have Owen Papo at linebacker, it's Chandler Wooten stepping in there and being one of their most consistent tacklers. Heading into this game, Ole Miss is coming off two pretty good defensive performances that the storyline around Ole Miss coming into the year was if you can get the defense to kind of become competent, this team actually has a shot to be really good. Um, and it's been interesting to where it's kind of played out exactly like that. It Things got weird after Alabama to where that was just one of those things where the offense couldn't do anything. They couldn't block Alabama up front, and it put the defense in some bad spots. And then threw on the, play for, on the field for 95 plays against Arkansas, and like, I don't care how much depth you have. That sucks for a good defense, and Ole Miss is not one of those. But they've come off of – Two pretty good performances, particularly against the run, which I think has been a revelation. Getting Jake Springer back has really helped them. And it seems like heading into this game, that's probably sound as basic as it sounds. If Ole Miss can sort of contain Auburn's running game with Tank Bigsby, and it's been interesting because it's been a little bit more Hunter than Shivers, right? Because Shivers got hurt, and it seems like since 
he's come back. He's been more of a third down pass catching guy where Hunter is a Philadelphia Mississippi kid, if I'm not mistaken, has come in and actually become more of the second back. If you can stop that and just kind of force Bo Nix to either be this new version of Bo Nix or the old version of Bo Nix, that's probably their best chance at winning this game. I just hit on a ton there. Let's start with the passing element of it, because if Ole Miss is able to fare decently well against the run, even if Bo's been good, Auburn's had all kinds of issues at receiver, as you hinted at, which is, I know they lost three guys to the NFL, but Ole Miss is dealing with this, some of it from a depth perspective, but I'm shocked that Auburn hasn't had one guy that's been pretty reliable. Like, it's not only that they're missing a one, it seems like they're missing a one and a two. And would you like? Would you say that's been the biggest disappointment on this team so far? I, I read a stat today, it's 25 drops. Does that sound in the neighborhood? Yeah, like, that's in the neighborhood. I've seen a few different numbers. Uh, like, like, what is a drop? Like, it, but it's not good is my point. Yeah. Like, is, is that kind of what you've seen teams try to do against Auburn? Because as accurate as Bo Nix has been, they have to catch the ball. And that's been the most shocking thing to me with as much talent as Auburn has across the board to not have at least one guy emerge into, you know, some sort of volume threat. What has been the issue there? They're getting there. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think before the season, everyone sort of thought that uh, Demetrius Robertson coming from Georgia as yeah. a, a last second, you know, transfer pickup was going to be the answer there. Um, and he was banged up for a little bit. So since he's, he's, he's had his moments, he had three touchdowns against Alabama state week two. Um, obviously he had the big 71 yard play against Arkansas, which is, you know, one of their probably more important games of the or plays of the year at this point. Um, but you know, it, it's not like he's been an every play kind of guy. I think he had three drop three of the drops in that Georgia game. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, there's one on a screen that there were a couple where it's like, you can't really throw it much more perfectly if you're Bo Nix. So, um, and credit to Bo, he was pretty patient, you know, when taking questions about the receivers afterward, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hold drops against them the same way I would expect them to not hold inaccurate throws against me. Um, and they, and the receiver core played a lot better against Arkansas. I think 10 guys had catches, um, uh, Kobe Hudson has maybe emerged as a guy who in the future will be that number one guy. Um, because obviously Robertson's a short-term situation, but, uh, Kobe Hudson as a sophomore, I think has shown the most true receiver potential, um, in terms of making plays, getting open, making good catches, um, so, yeah, he's a guy to watch. The other thing is that Auburn is using tight ends more than ever. Um, that was, you know, a non-existent sort of element in the past game with Gus's offense. Uh, and, you know, I think there was a lot of talk before the year this season about, wow, are there going to be tight ends catching passes? And I think until um, last week, John Samuel Shanker was their leading receiver. Um at tight end. So, and even he's had a couple drops too. So, but, but, you know, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Bo completed passes to four different tight ends against Arkansas, you know, which is just crazy to think about. I think that sort I of can't stuns. even name four tight ends for Ole Miss. 
Yeah, exactly. I think I, I could I, name three, but the fourth guy, I think I would just pick a private school in Mississippi and say they called him a tight end, one of the walk-ons. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. No, I mean, uh, um, the the play against LSU, uh, the, that fourth down play was Tyler Fromm, uh, a tight end who eventually got open and <laughs> mercilessly or mercifully for – for Bo at the end of that play, but that's been a huge part of the offense. And, and it's uh, important that, that the tight ends got involved because of the lack of talent at receiver, I guess, you know, you need, you need all hands on deck and it's a by committee situation and they've sort of made the most of it that they can. I, I think that you might be onto something with, you know, teams are going to, do everything they can to stop tank Bigsby and stop the run and, and sort of force Auburn into, you know, making plays with its receivers. So when this Auburn offense, like heading into this game, if Auburn wins and they do so, I don't even say convincingly, but they put up a lot of points because even the base level of this Ole Miss offense for the amount of flaws they had defensively, I mean, Ole Miss was out their top two receivers the last two games. I mean, Sanders played like a half a quarter or a quarter against Tennessee and went out with a hamstring injury. And they were still able to manufacture 30-something points each time. I guess 31 points both times. So if Auburn is able – like if Auburn wins this game and the offense functions at optimal capacity, like as best of you could paint the picture, what does that look like? Because it seems like there's been times on the offensive line – and Auburn's a team that I haven't caught a ton of this year, just from scheduling standpoint and travel and other stuff. But it seems like they've been okay in pass blocking for the most part. Nix's mobility has probably helped that some, but there's been some shaky moments with them running the football. I would have expected Tank's Bigby to have Tank Bigsby to have more than 500 whatever yards he has at this point. But with that said, the, like we keep going back to Auburn being such a weird team. The running game hasn't been a disaster. It's just been up and down kind of like everything else if they are win saturday night 38 24 something like that where the offense really played well and won them the game what does that look like so th this is why they're so bizarre because um if you asked me that before the arkansas game i would have Different said <laughs> i would have said they finally get tank going and they won 38 23 i don't know if you said 38 24 intentionally but they did that without a ton of right. run success once again so like it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I, and I, the reason that the run game sort of is pedestrian enough is, is because Jarquez Hunter is averaging over eight a carry. Um, but, you know, Tank, the first three games, he was at 100 yards in all three. And since then, it is 3.3 per carry, over 55 carries. So, um, which is, you know, pretty remarkable considering how talented it he is, you know, you don't, you don't have to be an expert to watch him shake tacklers to, and realize just how good he is. Um, Ole Miss has uh, seen plenty of him. But yeah. Yeah. And, and a huge part of it is the pass blocking has been significantly better than the run blocking, especially on the left side. Um, Brandon Council's had some issues, a left guard. Um, Nick Brahms at center has been not so great. Um, and they're sort of working through some things there. They had, uh, Austin Troxel at left tackle who had been struggling, but then was a little banged up, missed the Arkansas game. And uh, Killian Zaire ends up being their like team awarded offensive lineman of the game. So um, I, it's Troxel will be back this week, but maybe, uh, maybe Killian gets mixed in there a little bit more. Um, it, it's, 
it's weird. I, I would tell you that if Auburn's going to win by double digits this week with their offense, it's because uh, Bigsby runs for 100 finally again, and they're perfect in the red zone, uh, which has been an issue at times. Too many field goals, it seems like. Yes, too many field goals. Um, yeah, that, that's been a big issue. What One of the more uh, – standout moments of the year too was was in that Penn State game uh comes down to a fourth and goal at the two and at that point at that point Bigsby had been great for the first three games so you're sort of thinking that's that's like uh Seattle's got to give it to Marshawn Lynch at the one in the Super Bowl right right and they throw it and it's the it's the fade right which I hate in the red zone like such a low percentage play yeah the the most uh like disliked play call I think in in football at this point is the goal line fade. And uh, it, w- it was a five option play, but it was a pretty immediate turn to the right and toss it up to a Kobe Hudson who had no chance to get it. And also I think it was Penn state's uh, best defensive back on that side of the field. So it was just like one of those nightmare plays, you know, like it, I can't believe it came all the way down to this and that's what they did on fourth and goal at the two. But um yeah, so I don't know. When they pounded it in the red zone, you know, Bigsby's been able to finish drives a few times. I it's 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 hard to say. You would you would think that for Auburn to win convincingly, they have to be multidimensional on offense. Yeah, sometimes I guess maybe the best answer is I don't know because like the <laughs> like it is kind of hard to tell, right? You could see them doing it a number of different ways. One of the last things I had for you was coming into this game, I think it's weird. Both of these teams have new head coaches, new-ish, obviously Kiffin's year two, Harson's year one, but similar trajectories, experienced quarterback. The offense and defensive outlook is not similar, but I'm not necessarily sure either one thought they would be in this position going into this point in the season. And from the Ole Miss side of it, if Ole Miss wins this game, if they are able to go into Auburn, which they have not done, Ole Miss doesn't really win over there. If they're able to go in and win this game, the conversation about Ole Miss finishing 11 and one and having an outside crack at the playoff gets real because all you have after that, you get Hugh Freeze and Liberty, which should be weird in between. Um, <laughs> wonder how what that tribute video will look like. But you get AM coming to Oxford two weeks later, and then it's Vanderbilt and State. And I know weird stuff happens in the Egg Bowl, but Ole Miss is not going to lose to this version of Mississippi State, I don't think. So, like for Ole Miss, if you can go in here and find another way to kind of survive this last chapter of October, the conversation about doing things that in Ole Miss's case, they haven't really ever done, uh, at least not in 50 some odd years, gets very real. Where I feel like Auburn's similar in some senses to where, yes, they control their own destiny in the SEC West, but you still have Ole Miss, AM, and Alabama on the schedule at this point. To where, so if they beat Ole Miss, you know, anything goes in College Station. I've seen multiple versions of that AM team to where it's like, okay, they're okay. Now they suck. Like it's, it's hard to forecast. And yeah, then it's pretty much Miss- the Iron Bowl. Like, the, is it the similar in the sense that the conversation about maybe winning the West actually gets real if they get past Ole Miss? Fans would tell you yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not sure I can tell you yes. Uh, yeah, it it's weird. I the way I've thought about it is if and I you know doing these speculations are so stupid, but they're right. inevitable because it's just how your mind works. But uh, 
the way I've thought about it is like Fauburn splits these next two with Ole Miss and AM. They probably beat Mississippi State and South Carolina. You know, like you said, I guess weird things can happen. Mississippi State beat AM. So um, I think they'll beat both of them without too much issue. Yeah, you I mean you would think. Um, and then you at least go into the Iron Bowl uh at eight and three with two SEC losses and it, you know, and then it it theoretically would that would that be a winner take all at that point? I that think. would be a weird tie because depending on what happens, yeah. so Ole Miss and AM still have to play each other, and that would be two two lost teams. Things would get very hairy after that. But I would I would contend that if Ole, if Auburn handles Ole Miss this weekend, I, I'm not sure sure. I know AM's got a better defense, but I'm not hundred percent sold on Zach Calzada. Like if they handle Ole Miss this weekend, presuming Ole Miss is somewhat healthy offensively. I don't know why they couldn't go into college station and win. I would feel pretty decent about their chances. They'll probably be a four point ish underdog, but like I would, I could see them winning that game easily. Yeah. And the AM is one of the hardest teams to predict. I they think. really are. It's that's, and, but so is Auburn, I guess. So I don't know. Um, the ceiling is not quite as high this point, I guess. Um, because, you know, like you said, if if we want to talk about like really uh i don't want to say delusional but like unlikely ceilings the playoff is at least theoretically in picture for Ole Miss I don't I don't really think you can say that for Auburn but um you know if you like you said if if they beat Ole Miss all of a sudden maybe they're a favorite at AM or or at least a close underdog uh find a way there and then maybe you end up nine and three with a loss to Alabama and you're right on the edge of maybe a sugar bowl maybe a uh New Year's six situation depending on what other teams do and whether there are two SEC teams in the playoff and all that um so you know it's it's possible um for them to maybe reach that point it's it's sort of hard to say I I really think that these next two games sort of make or break Harson's first season. And, and that's what of, I was going to ask next, like approval rating wise, these are pretty crucial, right? Because yeah. look what they're, that would, if they lost to three of those, that would be eight and that'd be seven and five. Right. Which I don't think they'll do, but that's a huge difference than nine and three in your first year. Right. I mean, that's massive, particularly at Auburn. The other element of it is uh, it's early. It, so I, you know, I don't not, uh, just going to like slander Harson's recruiting ability just yet. But right now Auburn is, has the second worst 2022 recruiting class in the sec, which will so, make or break him ultimately. Yeah, exactly. It all, it, it all comes down to recruiting in the end, but one of the real strong points of Harson and the staff, Harson is a good football coach. I think, um, I, I think I've learned that I, like in the big picture this year in college football, there isn't a huge talent gap between, um, you know, once you get out of the, like those first couple teams, like Georgia and Alabama are probably better than everyone else. Um, it's like, I mean, you see Iowa takes number two spot and they sort of get exposed as a fraud, you know, right. And loses to Illinois in the stupidest game ever. Like, like it's, it's a season where there isn't, a clear top four even so 
in a season like that, the coaches that are the smartest and know how to make the right in-game adjustments are going to win more games. And I think that's why Auburn is five and two right now um, is because they're maybe not necessarily more talented than any other team, but they've, you know, they've got enough talent sort of from, uh, from what's left of the Malzahn era combined with some of the coaching smarts of Harson and company um, to, to be escaping with close games, to be beating LSU at the end, to be beating uh, Georgia state at the end, as weird as that one is. I, so I don't know. It's like, it, it's a weird situation where if, if you can't go at least eight and four, or maybe even nine and three with this group, how well are you going to be able to do with perhaps a lesser Right. Uh, group of recruits or you know maybe not quite the same talent so the these few games are huge proving ground for Harson in terms of his ability as a coach I think should be a fun one on Saturday night Bennett Durando really appreciate your time check him out on Twitter at Bennett Durando D-U-R-A-N-D-O check him out uh, montgomeryadvertiser.com in the pages of the montgomery advertiser i really appreciate the time dude this was good to catch up it's good to see you again kind of virtually and uh, uh hopefully we'll catch up again soon yeah no great talking to you and that is our show appreciate you guys waiting patiently uh sorry to get this out a little bit later than usual got a packed friday show coming down the pipe for you we'll have greg's picks as usual and then another player from the 2003 old miss team who played a Fairly significant role in a road win at Auburn. That is all the hints I would drop for now. It's probably not the person you think you are currently thinking of if you are old enough to remember that game, but certainly a guy that made an impact on that team, and I'm looking forward to catching up about that game, the uh, infamous drop third down pass, and a couple other things. So got a packed Friday show coming your way. Appreciate you guys sticking around. Uh, Like and subscribe to the podcast, rate and review, and we will catch you on Friday.